Hello and welcome back to The Boss Podcast. This is episode 113. I am Kirk Bailey and this week we welcome Christopher Moore, the CMO at Quietlight, to a discussion about mergers and acquisition. Happy listening. The Business of Software Podcast, sharing sessions from our conferences and discussions with software people that will make you think. Find out more at businessofsoftware.org. You've been having a very busy few years uh, selling companies, and uh, I'm really interested to catch up with you to find out what's happened over the last year or so and what's uh, happening now, because things really picked up after the pandemic. uh, And now if you go to the news, you can't really avoid all sorts of doom and gloom about interest rates and this that and the other so uh, I thought I'd check in on an expert to um, find out what uh, what's happening in the world and how that might affect uh, the uh, exits uh, and exit values and exit processes of uh, SaaS companies um, but first of all can you tell me a little bit about you and uh, Quiet Light and what have you been up to? Yeah so uh, Quiet Light is a you know M&A firm that specializes in only online businesses. We do SaaS, of course, we do uh, Amazon, e-commerce, content sites, affiliate marketing sites, coaching, subscription services, all sorts of stuff. Um, but we really love the SaaS vertical. Um, but yeah, it, it, you know, we anything that is profitable online, we love. We like to sell it. So sell it. So. So tell me about the last couple of years and what's been been going on before we dig into uh, the last six months or so. Yeah, I feel like, you know, coming out of the pandemic, the secret kind of got out, right, that uh, online businesses, you know, were an attractive asset for people to have. People understood them. I mean, you know, my dad, you know, growing up, he learned a, a skill lifting a hammer and, you know, putting roofs on houses. And that's a repeatable skill and made him a certain amount of money. But now people are figuring out like, hey, if I am a good coder, if I am really good at AdSense, if I'm really good at sourcing product and finding holes in a marketplace, um, they could take that one skill or a small subset of skill, subset of skills and acquire a business, start a business and scale it to a certain point, sell it and, you know, reap the benefits of that. And so, um, you know, people, it's become a really frothy market, right? And Furthermore, we had this entire new class of private equity buyers that come into the market with tons and tons of cash. And you've probably read about some of them, um, Thrasio being the largest in the e-commerce space, um, but Perch, um, uh, Foundry Brands, there's a bunch that that you know came out that were basically thinking that we can acquire a bunch of you know, smaller businesses at you know multiples 2.75 up to five, or maybe even more six, seven. Um, and through efficiencies, run them better, run them more profitably. And once we have a portfolio of these that are really singing, we can sell them at a 10, 15, you know, X um, as a huge, you know, um, sale. Uh, they, so that was a, a frothy, frothy market in 2021. It started off in e-commerce, but people started to say, like, if I spin up a platform of personal productivity software, if I spin up a platform of WordPress plugins or whatever the case may be, uh, they found that, hey, this if I get can get efficient at this, spin up into a portfolio, then that becomes a more a more uh, attractive acquisition target in the future. Or I can buy features that my you know software is missing, um, add that to you know uh, uh, my platform already, and then 
and then sell that. What they found. Now here's coming back around to your <laughs> it question. Sounded so great. <laughs> sounded so easy. It sounds amazing, right? Free and easy money. What these aggregators have found, right? What what these private equity buyers have found is that it's not always necessarily that easy to to run these businesses profitably um, after acquisition through efficiencies. Um, you know, we'll take just e-commerce here as like an example. They got really good at profiling businesses and acquiring ones that had the right profile, the right vertical, the right pro you know processes in place, the right sourcing. Except the operations people, it there, the efficiencies didn't show up there. So these businesses started missing their um, earnouts, right? So the earnouts were basically, you know, most of these sales are structured sixty to eighty percent cash up front. And then you know earn out on top, and that earn out typically the seller is taking you know a, a chunk of that and hoping to get more than the quoted you know multiple over time. But what we're finding is that a lot of these you know buyers have not been hitting, and I don't want to say a majority of, but there's you know some that just couldn't figure out a way to run those efficiencies, especially as they were acquiring you know at a great rate of speed um the first aggregator was called 101 commerce they tried to buy 101 amazon businesses in a year wow failed spectacularly <laughs> right because just to get that much deal flow is you know is difficult so long story short what we found is like especially in this you know institutional buyer that really was responsible for pushing multiples up pushing awareness of the marketplace up because they just they spun up all this money that they put into advertising put into direct outreach people really became aware of the fact that their business is an asset that's something that people could want to acquire i had a agency um in a previous life that i spun up it was great i didn't know it was worth anything so rather than selling it or putting processes in place to make it an attractive acquisition target i just moved on to the next thing and just let it die I left, you know, probably a couple hundred thousand dollars on the table, you know, because I just didn't understand my business as an asset. So what these aggregators, what private equity, what direct outreach has done is made people aware that their business is a valuable asset, something that they can grow, um, find the levers to grow that, you know, the value of that, and then, you know, eventually exit. But they pushed all that up and then couldn't make good on the deal. So yeah. now that in combination with you know, the rising interest rates has made it very, has made it much more difficult to close deals or for people to find the deals that are like right in the wheelhouse. Usually, you know, last year, people would take deals that had a little hair on them, um, you know, that had just some underlying thing that wasn't perfect because they're like, oh, I can make that more efficient. But yeah, now they're being a lot more narrow with their acquisition Interesting. You know, targets and so, and so were the aggregators typically buying with a cash pile that they had, or were they were they borrowing? Were they funding these deals with debt? Yes, both. Um, right. They would spin. Yeah, I mean, they would spin up, you know, funds um, from investors, and there. But there would be, you know, some of those investors were financing that with debt. Some of them were, you know. We're thinking of like the big exit in the future, you know, something of that nature. Some some were purchasing with cash, but um, then they didn't see that cash going to work for them in, in every you know instance. So I, I would say it's a bit of a mixed bag um, on that, but probably one of the brokers would be better positioned to answer that more accurately. I'm just <laughs> that's just my guess. Yeah. Um, so 
what's happened to what's happened to the economy what's happened to the uh, interest rates to the cost of borrowing uh, just give us a, a quick update on yeah great question here at least in the united states um the you know the prime lend, uh, prime loan rate you know has gone over the last six months from 3.25 percent to uh, i think it's 6.25 percent and promises to go higher right um the fed says they'll probably do another um hike uh uh in December, I think, maybe at their next meeting, which would be another 0.5%. They've been going in increments of 0.75% um, hikes to interest rates. So really what that means is, I, I mean, people's buying uh, buying power has been cut in half. There's a really nice subset of the market. One thing that Small Business Administration, at least here in the United States, has done is given access to capital for you know these smaller to mid-sized people. So if someone is working in corporate you know, and they've saved up a couple hundred thousand dollars, they don't, they don't necessarily need to buy a business that's worth a couple hundred thousand dollars. They can use it as a down payment, buy a million dollar business and have a lot more, you know, um, sales discretionary earnings yeah. or, you know, net profit coming from that, to, you know, um, help scale, you know, more quickly once they acquire that business. So it's really given people the ability to go, you know, to reach out and get bigger acquisitions. Um, but now that lending power obviously is being cut, you know, cut greatly down and if you are working on you know small profit margin or you work, you're really on a growth trajectory whatever the market is um you're investing a lot more in advertising for content you're investing a lot more in uh, inventory for amazon or e-commerce you're investing a lot more in development um, or customer acquisition for SaaS. whatever the case may be um if you're you know shrinking down that that uh, you know net income then that that's you know would be what would be going toward, you know, loan service, you know, debt service, then it makes it, you know, a very risky proposition for some people to, you know, to acquire those businesses right now. So that's kind of shrinking that middle market, $500,000 to a million dollars, you know, so-and-so um, acquisition size. Okay, great. So I'd love to, a uh, couple of scenarios, maybe three scenarios. One, this is the new normal. Interest rates are higher. <laughs> Things change, and for the foreseeable, and let's say as a five-year time frame, things are back up where they are. One thing. Um, the other option bounces back quite quickly, and then there's the uh, in-between, which is um, it's a couple of years before interest rates come back down. What um, what's your guess about what's going to happen, and what are the implications for each of those scenarios? Great question. Um, I think nobody has a crystal ball here. First of all, <laughs> um, I think you know we can you know we can only you know give our best guess um, in terms of how these things play out. Right now, I would say we're in a you know in a period of fear in terms of deployment of of capital, um, and so when people are fearful, they act erratically. There's no saying what yeah. they're going to do, but. They tend not to, they tend to bet big on dumb things or bet little <laughs> on smart things, right? Because um, they want, you know, the highest yield for that, you know, return on investment. Um, so, I mean, what we are hoping, what we kind of feel is like probably 2023 is going to be a bit of a bloodbath. Interest rates are going to continue to go up uh, in, across the market. I think people are going to take a wait and see approach um, to see what the economy does if, you know, 
is inflation and continue going up? Or are we going to, you know, get it under control? Is, I mean, there's, you know, just reading the jobs report, you know, there's 1.9 um, available, uh, there's 1.9, 1.9 million available people for every million jobs or something like that. Um, and so, you know, in order to attract people, we're going to have to pay them more. That's going to, you know, drive up the cost of doing business. So there, there's going to be an adjustment period where people are going to be pretty fearful about leaning into the market. After that, I think that things will return a little bit to a normal. You have to, you know, you have to remember that like those 3.2% interest rates um, for the prime lending rate, those were historically low for a long time. Yeah. They were very low for a long time. Yeah. <clears throat> so in a sense, we're almost returning to a sense of what was normal. I think yeah. the the long-term average interest rate was uh, 6.43%, if I'm not mistaken. So we're even a little bit below what the historical average prime lending rate has been. Now, does that mean that's where we you know level off? I'm not sure it is. I mean, I think you know, what we want to get to a place where we have really good growth, but also really good, you know, ability to borrow. I think the markets have corrected a little bit um, in that regard. Um, so I think we're going to try and get back to that place, you know, as quickly as possible. Uh, but nobody has, you know, a crystal ball. I yeah. do think 23 is going to be a more difficult year. It's going to be a more fearful year. It's going to be you know, time when people are less excited to invest capital in, you know, acquisition or in any way. Yeah. Um, but I think we may see, you know, some some sunny days on the other side of that. And that being said, a good business is a good business is a good business. It Just like with anything, tough times make you focus in on, you know, what you do best, maximizing your income, maximizing, you know, your processes, all that stuff to get the most out of your business. So yeah. people who are focusing on those things now are going to come out of that roaring, Right. I mean, even in our business, right, we're looking at like, hey, how do we do things more efficiently in these times in case leads do go down, in case sales do go down? And I feel like that positions a business really well to come out of it. That doesn't mean like cut back on the things that you are necessary to your success, right? But it means like, where are the efficiencies in, you know, in this thing? Yeah. And I think people, you know, in 21, they were growing at such a rate, they weren't doing it efficiently. So you didn't have you time know, to. Yeah, exactly. So I think, you know, now is the time to refocus, you know, reprioritize, reoptimize. And in 24, um, I think the market looks good. But again, nobody knows. Yeah. Okay. So let's let's think about this from <clears throat> perspective of someone that's thinking of selling their business. And one of the things we've noticed and uh, have seen a seen a fair bit of is that uh, during lockdown, people. Uh, founders who'd been running their companies quite happily for five, 10, 15, 20 years and and, uh, and more, really took a step back and started to think, is, is this what I want to be doing? Is this something, uh, is this a time when I should think about my life and, and where I go and what I do? And uh, we've seen a lot of people think about, uh, well, consider their strategic options, I think, is the... Um, mm -hmm catch-all catch -all term but often means well we're obviously thinking about uh, selling and and uh, exiting and that's a well it's a it, it's a it's a difficult thing and I think there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of 
bad information out there about um, mm. the market. A lot of people really kind of talk these things up. And, and one of the things I love about you as a uh, an organization is you always take a very longer-term founder-driven perspective, which makes a massive difference. You know, you're mm. you're less transactional, right? Let's get this deal now. Um because we make the make money now, you're you're more about building those relationships and and really kind of helping people achieve their uh, objectives. Now, there's uh, there's two things I think I'd I'd love to pick your brains about. One is uh, the kind of acquirers and you know in this market where there's loads of people buying and you want an exit and you want some cash out and you know, it doesn't matter too much who your acquirer is. So. Mm -hmm. In the new world, that's changed. Um, so I'd love to get your perspective on uh, that. And then I think the other thing that we'll talk about after that is uh, timing and whether today is a good day to sail. Is six months? Is uh, should someone really focus and build over another eighteen months or something and and come out of this and uh, be in a be in a better position? But let's hear your thoughts on how the best acquire or what the shape of the best acquirers is now what's what's different now to 18 months ago apart from they've got money <laughs> <laughs> well i mean everybody you know dreams of the strategic acquirer right i mean that's that, that's the dream scenario because you know there's there's multiple points of leverage there um, right. They want to take a competitor off the, the chessboard. They want, you know, they want to absorb some feature, whatever the case may be. Everyone wants to sell to a strategic acquirer. Um, that takes building a business in a certain specific kind of way um, that may not be the most efficient or whatever. So, I mean, I think that's that's certainly always the dream. Um, yep. And but not every acquisition is a strategic acquisition. Right. Um for one reason or another, so that's like the the top of the the top of the market best best multiples best deal terms whatever. Um, <clears throat> people really want to work toward that. Uh, you know, other buyers would be these private equity buyers, aggregator type buyers. Um, they're getting more and more narrow with their focus, but that should mean better return on investment in the long term if they really know what they do well and how they can optimize that business post acquisition. Um, the earnouts, the you know, the multiples can stay you know pretty high. Uh, there's also private portfolios, you know, entrepreneurs, um, family funds, things like that that acquire businesses, um, micro funds, syndicates, um, and then you know just individual buyers. All those have a different buying, you know, a different platform, a different profile, a different thing that are trying to get out of the business. Um, but generally speaking, you're, the larger the deal, the larger the acquirer, the higher the multiple is going to be. Uh, however, you, the, the more you get into private equity territory, the more you have to stick with the business after acquisition for six yeah. months a year, um, or, um, the more you have to take an earn out on the back end, you know, that are, that has performance pegs. So what we always tell people is what we start the conversation is what is your goal? Is your goal to be free and clear of this business in three months time? Well, that's what this deal looks like. Is your goal to get the most money possible because you put the most effort into the business? Well, that's what that exit looks like, right? Um, so really that's a conversation that starts with like, what's your, what's your goal? 
and then what is achievable within what the market you know will bear for that sort of thing interesting so timing sell now sell later <laughs> i'm going to surprise where, you. where later is an indeterminate amount of time i'm going to surprise you people who enjoy their business whose business is growing should never sell they should hold on to it um if it's doing well if they enjoy the work if there's if they're finding enjoyment, if, it, if they're not a slave to it, right? If they're not working 60 hours a week, um, you know, being co-jockeys or whatever, then keep it. There's ne there's never any reason to sell. Um, the reasons to sell are, you know, personal choices. I'm burnt out on this. And even then, I'd say fight through the burnout. If you're burned out, that means you've, you've been doing something for the last three months, last six months, that's probably hurting the underlying value of your business. If you can like have a conversation with someone about what those things are and straighten them out um, and then apply them for six months, you're going to have a much better exit, much better deal terms, much better valuation, you know, on the back end of that. Yeah. Um, and I, I think entrepreneurs or, you know, especially people who are building software or whatever, they have a certain skill set, but the skill set almost never is I'm great at doing my financials. I'm great at <laughs> customer retention. You know, there's always something that's like an underlying factor, right? That's they're really good at the one thing, but but they, you know, there's they're they're hurting their business in some way. They're working 60 hours a week, and so it's not really transferable to another owner, right? Um, they there's some part of the business that's just in their head, and they haven't created SOPs that are you know, that are transferable. Like that's what I, you know, that's what I had with my business. Mm. I was the business when I had an agency. I was the point of contact with clients. I had like, this is what our stuff looks like. This is our vibe, <laughs> you know, but I couldn't communicate that to anybody, right? Yeah. Um, and so when those things happen, that hurts the underlying value of a business. So I, I think to answer your question, you know, sell when the factors that are important to you kind of like merge. So ask yourself, what do you want from your investment of time and effort into this business? Is it a particular number? Is it a particular level of freedom? Uh, you know, we have a lot of people that are exiting just to spend more time with their family or just to focus on this, you know, this other aspect that they're excited about. We have one guy sells e-commerce business. He just wanted to work in AI very profitable business <laughs> he wanted to jump into ai here at mit uh and on the blockchain yeah uh, well gosh i hope not <laughs> wow uh, okay. the blockchain gang um yeah so you know my simple answer to that is like if you have a business that you enjoy that's growing that you, you're giving really real value to people that you're creating opportunities for your employees or your, you know, your agencies or your, you know, contractors, whatever the case may be, and you, and you like it, you should never sell it. Um, but when that time starts coming that you say, maybe I am burning out, maybe I'd like to move on to another thing. Um, you know, you start, you know, thinking about like, okay, well, what is it worth? However, here's the caveat to that. You should treat your business as you never want to sell it and simultaneously like you always want to sell it because that time may come when someone close to you becomes ill 
and you need to spend that time. We sold business for a guy um, who his son needed cancer treatment. Oh, I'm sorry. And, you know, he had to shift pretty quickly into that mode of like, not only do I need the liquidity, yeah, I need the time to spend with my son, right? I'm, uh, this is valuable to me. But he had underlying things wrong with his business that hurt the valuation in the long term, right? Mm-hmm. But he had to have a quick exit. So the, the lesson here is, you know, with your books, with your processes, with, you know, how much you work on the business, all of the things that go, and we talk about like four aspects of like what creates value in a business, um, growth, transferability, documentation, and risk, right? If you're working on those things um, all the time and thinking about them, thinking about what would make your business an attractive acquisition target, then when that thing comes up, when you just are, you know, you're burned out or you have, you know, to go take care of a family member or whatever the case may be, you're ready to start hearing offers. And then you also are checking on your valuation from time to time, right? Like the the latest, you know, um, crypto scandal notwithstanding. Um, Which one? You know, What's the day? The FTX. I mean, yeah, like, I know. Loot. Okay, great. Oh, I must <laughs> have got another one by now. That was like over the weekend. <laughs> but I mean, that's the thing, right? It's like people know generally speaking, what's in their crypto wallets and what's that worth, right? They generally speaking here in the US know what's in their 401k if they have a retirement account or whatever. They know what's in their investments. They know what their house is worth, but they don't know what their business is worth. And checking it on that regularly and understanding like, oh, I have a goal here. Just like I've got a goal for retirement. I've got to have this much saved up doing this much, you know, in these kind of markets to, you know, to be able to retire comfortably. Everyone's got that in their mind, but they don't think of their business as a really important part of that. Yeah. And so, you know, tr- treating is something that's like, because we all are going to exit someday, right? Very few of us are going to pass our businesses down to our children. Um, and that's fine, <laughs> you know? So like thinking now about like, how can I make this the most a- attractive acquisition target and make it the most valuable thing? Not only does that is going to help your profitability in the short term, it's going to help the value in the long term yeah it's something i've I've noticed a lot about conversations i've had with you and 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 others as well is this uh, thinking of your business as an asset and uh, a lot of the things that people talk about when they're preparing to sell or, or selling their business are really things that just make businesses stronger more profitable more valuable so i like this this concept of running it as if you're never going to sell but you could sell tomorrow because uh it basically just kind of ties those two things back together and 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 keeps just gives you more options totally totally more options so if uh if someone's going through a a, a transaction um are you seeing people selling and then going back and reinvesting or, or buying into new <laughs> businesses? Is this something that, because I, I know so many people that have sold their company and then think, oh, I'm going to do a startup. And then they think about it and they're like, oh, no, those first four years were absolutely horrible. <laughs> and now yeah. I've got some money. So why don't I buy one? Are you seeing more of those acquirers coming back? hundred percent. Absolutely we're seeing a very cyclical nature to the markets, right? Um, I think I was telling you before we jumped on the call about uh, this, 
this guy who spun up a SaaS platform of WordPress plugins. His first exit with us was in the high six-figure range. Um, maybe maybe it crossed in the seven-figure range, but it wasn't a huge, you know, um, sale. Took that money, reinvested it. Really knew he 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 learned the that through that first set of small acquisitions and then sale. He learned what he did well. He learned what where his gaps were, and he learned how to identify a company that really needed his strengths. Um, and so he learned how to leverage those, and so he acquired small again like in the you know the high six figure range yeah. and worked on that for 3 years and is selling it for 8.6 million so i mean that's we're and we're seeing more and more of buyers become sellers become buyers become sellers become buyers become sellers right so yeah. when we were kind of in our infancy we had a lot of sellers and a lot of buyers and now we have a lot that just go through that life cycle again and again and again and it's the smartest way to go about it right yeah. I don't, I always forget the statistics, um, but one of our brokers wrote a really great book called Buy Then Build um, that's about growth through acquisition. And a great percentage of startups fail and an even greater never reach a million dollars in revenue, right? Um, and we're talking in the like 97, 98% range, something yeah. like that. I, I could be misquoted here, but I never remember the number. But why buy, because and, and a lot of those things fail not be, for any good reason, right? The timing wasn't right. The, you know, the stars didn't align. The capital wasn't there. They didn't find a market. But if you can find something that's small, that's growing, that is just lacking something that you can give it, why not, you know, leverage the, you know, small business administration, whatever, you know, whatever finance you get. Or if you just have, you know, money from, from an exit that you want to, you know, reapply. Absolutely. It's like yeah. the best, best, best way to grow. Uh, so do you, you obviously have a lot of institutional uh, acquirers. Do you have a lot of recycled entrepreneurs or uh, uh, entrepreneurs that are looking to reinvest in business is something that you'd be keen to speak to? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, you know, our list of institutional buyers is in the hundreds and the list of individual acquirers is in the tens of thousands, right? Um, and so obviously we're talking about a much smaller deal profile unless they've, you know, come into money yeah. through an exit or something like that, which there are a lot of those. Um, but yeah, I mean, there, that's actually where we cut our teeth. It's our bread and butter. It's where we feel we offer the most value because we're everyone on the team is an entrepreneur themselves. Yeah. They've all built, bought and sold their own online businesses. So we don't have salespeople or anything like that. So there's a lot of empathy with the entrepreneur because these people have, been on Shark Tank and <laughs> built e-commerce platforms, built a SaaS company, built you know a, 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 a portfolio of content sites. Um, so they really have a lot of you know empathy with the buy side and the sell side because they've been on both sides. Yeah, and we like those individuals. Yeah, well. and do those ever? Do you ever get into a situation where you have someone that's looking to sell and and maybe they've got, and I guess to make it really simple typically people are either really good at sales marketing or they're really good at tech there's obviously lots of um and the ones that are really good at tech know that they're not doing the sales marketing really well and should do it better and and, and vice versa um do you ever kind of end up putting those companies together and then just following them following them through or is it does it always sort of typically end in a transaction or is is dropping one of those entrepreneurs in a 
a model that yeah you i mean typically we ju we just do transactions we yeah. we're, we like are very happy to help people but yeah. i mean yeah that gets into a little bit of a complicated area for us so we don't really do a lot with the scaling help we'll we'll do a lot yeah. with the exit planning and help yeah yeah interesting interesting so really fascinating are there any things that we should we should have talked about uh, on on this i mean what what um uh, what what does the what does the market look like in the next three six months i mean you're saying it's pretty uncertain at the moment and that's that's quite difficult yeah it is uncertain but i think you know the market has stayed active for good businesses right so things that have good, you know, underlying financials, good growth, you know, they're still paying out. There's multiples are still pretty okay on that. Um, they maybe are a little, you know, maybe a little bit less than they were a year ago, but uh, it's still looking okay there. I think it's, there's going to be some further contraction. The more these interest rates go up, the more that, you know, capital is restricted, you know, the more there's going to be a tightening of the market. So I, I, I think a wait and see approach is fine. <laughs> You know, I mean, yeah. that's that seems what everybody is doing. Um, we certainly don't want anyone to go to market with a business that they're just like, you know, they're not going to get the, the full return on their investment of time and energy and thought and vision. Yeah. Um, but I mean, you know, those businesses are still good and sellable. Um, and, we're, and we're still, you know, we're, as much as like I'm like, oh, man, the markets, I mean, in terms of transactions we're not far off our 21 pace um so it it's not horrible but i think you know 23 maybe a little bit yeah a little bit down interesting that's interesting yeah certainly certainly i mean you're obviously seeing deals being done we're seeing deals being done um we're actually uh, going to be running a uh, we grandly call it an exit mastermind, but it's a little group of people that are thinking <laughs> about and have lots of questions about exits. And uh, I know we've talked about this. We'd love to get you in to, to talk to those uh, to those people at some time. They're probably kind of thinking slightly longer term, but uh, you know, equally, we're seeing a lot of a lot of people um, uh, going through with with really nice deals at the moment, which is which is encouraging to see. And as you say, I think quality. Quality will out. Quality is its own economy, as my mum said. <laughs> That's to true. And like, yeah. And, you know, I just say to that point, you know, people who are thinking in the long term and understanding the business as an asset are the ones going to be the most in position to benefit from the market condition, right? I mean, it, it, it it's just good to do, right? It's just good hygiene. Yeah. <laughs> to, you know what I mean? Um, to think about that long term and to just be keeping an eye on the value. And, you know, people, I know, you know, SaaS founders are really constantly thinking about their MRR and their CAC and their LTV and all that stuff. But I think really getting, you know, laser focused on dialing some of those things in you mm. know, helps, 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 not just with your, you know, your top and your bottom line, but it really helps with what people want to see in a business when they, you know, come yeah. to acquire it. Fantastic. Uh, thank you, Chris. Uh, how can people get in touch with you? Uh, well, you can just uh, reach out to me at Christopher at QuietLight.com. Also, Badass at QuietLight.com. I just set that up as an alias. Uh, just as a joke. 
but uh, but Christopher I, at QuietLight.com is great. Um, I'm being English. I'm going to email you from now on at badass. Um, which <laughs> I can add bad arse as well. Yeah, <laughs> fantastic. Um, and uh, great. Well, look, uh, that was really, really helpful. Do get in touch with Chris. I think he, uh, I mean, my bombshell from this um, is uh, don't sell your business if you're enjoying it, if you're enjoying it. Thanks for listening to the Business of Software podcast. For more information, go to businessofsoftware.org.